Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Nine, one, one. I had just gone to bed, drifting into that um, semi-conscious sleep state, when I felt the house shake. And it startled me. I woke up, thought, I better check on the family. Went downstairs, they were still up, looked out the front window, and there was snow on the ground. It was April. That weird snow. And then it hit me, that is not snow. That is insulation from our attic in the front yard. The roof is off. And immediately, my, I was in a daze, but I thought, I've got to call the fire department. It was storming hard, and, and uh, so I ran to, to where we kept the phone book that was pre-cell uh, phone days, and I'm looking for their number, and I could not find it. And finally, I'm like, babe, what's the number to the fire department? And she does, she did what she continues to do today, save my bacon. It's 911. <laughs> God in his providence has given us a 911 for our soul. In those moments when the roof comes off, when we face hard, hard times in our life, a 911. Found in the book of Psalms, Psalms 91, verse 1. Precious truth. It reads this way Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This is a truth we've we've talked about, I know, as a faith family before, but this year I I just sensed the Lord nudging us to rest in the, the sweet, sweet reality that we, through faith in Jesus Christ, have the opportunity to live in His shadow, to dwell in His shelter, but to rest in His shadow. The possibility of every moment of our, of our life to live in his shadow. You think when you're in someone's shadow, you're close to them. You say, well, John, how does this play out in, in my life and in my hard circumstance and in the situation that, that I am going through? And I hear that and I feel that. And we have sweet, sweet times of worship like this, and we feel close to him, but then we get out into our lives, and often our hardship, and and we feel distant from him. What does it look like to, to dwell in his shadow when life is really hard? And today, we are going to begin a journey through the book of Ruth, a story of an ordinary family, like our families, who were going, they went through a very, very hard time. And in this story, we see just beautiful picture of what it looks like to rest in his shadow even when life is hard. And so that's the the prayer at the outset of this series through this month of November, this month of gratitude, that we would awaken again to the possibility of living in his shadow, be equipped to do that, and then our hearts would just burst with gratitude that, that we have this chance through Christ to never leave the shadow of El Shaddai. And so today we're going to start chapter one, and what's interesting about this chapter, we see three truths that we can pack with us in our own faith journey, three truths to know and then to apply to our lives. 
And so uh, the, the author opens up this way. It says, in the, days of the ju- in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so right off the bat, he's giving us a historical context. Where are we in the history of God and the history of man? And we know this is in the days when the judges ruled. So you remember God chose his people, Abraham, brought them, um, we're past the, the, uh, the days of, of Moses. The exodus has happened. Joshua led the people into the land that God promised them. And now Joshua has just died. So Joshua is dead. And there's a season of several hundred years when there was no king. So from the time of Joshua's death to the, the time of King Saul's coronation, is where we are. This is the days when the judges ruled. And when he says there was a a famine in the land, it's significant. This was a a season of uh, great highs and lows for God's people. And the, the famine represents both physical problems, but also spiritual problems, which are summarized, great summary. If you go to the book of Ruth and then page one page back to the last verse of the book of Judges, you see a summary of this time of the Judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And so you have people um, pretty much just doing what they think is right in their own eyes, which leads them astray. So remember, they're under the Mosaic covenant. And this was a covenant, a promise God made with Moses, through Moses to his people, which in Deuteronomy 28 had some very clear blessings and curses. We are no longer under this covenant. We're under the new covenant that Christ established, Jesus established when he was here. But then you can read the, the specifications of the law here. And the, the promise, though, the, the blessings and cursings, it happened this way. If you obey the covenant, you will receive these blessings. One of them was physical prosperity. Um, you would not have famine. You would have plenty of rain and, and food. But you would also receive, if you disobeyed these curses, you would, you would experience uh, cursing, and one of the the uh, curses was famine. And so, as you read through Judges, it's a, and as kids, we always love studying Judges in Sunday school, right? Because it is high action. I mean, um, Israel, sad, they would drift from the Lord. He would discipline them, allow curses to come into their lives. They would repent, turn to him. He would um, honor his word and bring blessing unto their lives through a judge. He would lift up a judge, a guy like Samson or Ehud or or uh, Jephthah, or Deborah, and, and then um, they would turn back to him, follow him for a while, and then they drift again. So as we come to Ruth, we are in a season of drift, right? That's what the author's telling us right off the start. They are in a famine. It's a not a good day in, uh, in, in Israel at this time. And we'll, uh, in this text, again, what, what our author will do is walk us through three scenes. He'll pause it at these scenes and give us a truth to carry with us in our own lives, helping us live in his shadow. So the first scene is leaving home when life hurts, is the title you could put above this scene. Verses 1 to 5 says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. We know Moab is straight east, about 50 miles. Um, you go past the Dead Sea, and it's up on a plateau, a fertile, fertile bit of land. It's where, uh, if you remember Abraham and Lot, it, it's the land that Lot chose and Lot's descendants. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. Elimelech means my God is king, and then Naomi means pleasant. 
pleasant one. Or, or uh, yeah. So the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, which means sickly and frail. So not that no, what you want to be named, but possibly describing their state being born in, during a famine time when maybe they were malnourished or mom was malnourished. They were Ephrathites, descendants of Caleb from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to, to live there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. The author states this in a, just a sentence, but man, this is, as readers, we pause and like, wait a minute, okay, well, what happened? Like, husband is gone, and you know, in this culture, a husband was someone that you relied upon for security, for stability, for income, especially in this culture. Now, she's in a foreign land without her husband, but there's a glimmer of hope. Her sons are with her. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha, the other Ruth. Some commentators quickly jumped out. They should not have done this. The, the author here is, is careful, and, and I think I, I would agree with the commentators that feel that this is not good, bad, or indifferent. This is, he's just stating fact. They, they married um, women who were there. After they lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. If you had asked Naomi, this mom, what do you hope, what do you pray your life will look like and the life of your family will look like in the years to come? This is not it. And you just picture the instability and the the stress and the concern, worry that she's feeling even as they have to deal with the famine. And can you imagine having to decide who eats today in our family? And today it's just the kids, but then knowing tomorrow we've got nothing for these kids to the point of we've got to move and we've got to move to another country and live, pick up from our family, our friends, all that we know, stability, the people that we love, and we've got to go to where there's food. We, we have no choice. But at least we have each other, Right? Those are those times as a family, you just huddle together and like, we're going to get through this together. But they get to that place, Moab, and she loses her husband and then loses her boys. And we know that um, they were there. It's interesting in the text, it says they were going to go for a, just a while to Moab. It becomes a decade. But over this decade, as they've settled down and no, no grandkids are coming. So both of these ladies, Orpha and Ruth, are struggling with fertility and, and not able to, to have children, which was a big deal in this culture. And then even as Ruth or Naomi is processing this, just to think that where the nation of Israel is at, and this family is suffer, suffering the collateral damage for a nation that is drifting from the Lord. And it is just, it's a sad scene in these moments. Naomi leaves her home, loses her husband, loses her kids, childless, poor, destitute, a widow, brokenhearted in this foreign land. What is the author seeking to communicate? And God, through the author, seeking to communicate through this first scene. I think it's clear. He wants us to to be reminded that, that life hurts. Things are not as they should be here, and that we will all suffer loss. He doesn't um, assign this family blame, although we know that we are all sinners, and, and they too are sinners, but 
we suffer loss, not always for our own bad decisions, but sometimes for the evil decisions of those around us. We, we do, uh, ultimately, all those flow back to the, the sin that Adam committed and that we share. We have a sin nature. We, we make sinful choices. We live in a world where people make sinful choices, and it leads to pain. It leads to suffering. In this first scene, leaving home when life hurts, I, I think the author wants us to just pause and sit with this mom, this wife, this daughter, and hear her cry and hear her sobs. Heartbreaking with sadness, fear and anxiety filling up her mind, the hopes of what she thought life would be and longs for life to be are gone. And these are seemingly irreversible losses that she's feeling. To her God, I think, wants us to face that uncomfortable reality that, that we will all suffer loss. And one of the uh, important parts of following him is, is grieving those losses appropriately with him, of learning to face them and uh, learning to lament. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, pain isn't the worst thing. Being separated from the one you love isn't the worst thing. Death isn't the worst thing. The worst thing is failing to deal with the reality of being disconnected and being disconnected from what is actual. We don't become mature human beings by getting lucky or cleverly circumventing loss and certainly not by avoiding by avoidance or distraction. Learn to lament. We're mortals after all. We and everyone around are scheduled for death. Get used to it. Take up your cross. It prepares us and those around us for the resurrection. And so as we watch this scene play out, leaving home when life hurts, it reminds us we grieve for a while, for a little while, as Peter says, in a land that is not our own. Naomi's tears will fall throughout this first chapter. But in the midst of her suffering, the narrator gives us hints of what's to come. And he reminds us what we know or what to know. The narrator of the story reminds us that God is bigger um, than our pain and that he is working out a beautiful redemptive plan for those who know him, who trust him, who are his own. And the precious truth that emerges throughout this, this chapter and throughout the story, story of, of uh, history is this. In his shadow, we are safe when we suffer. In his shadow, we are safe when we suffer. Yes, we will suffer loss. Yes, we will hurt. We will cry. And it's real loss. It's real pain. I picture Jesus crying with Mary, even though he knew he would raise Lazarus from the dead. We will suffer, and it is real pain, but as we suffer in his shadow, we are safe. Why? Because there is one thing that no suffering, no trial, nothing that evil has brought into the world can take from you, child of God, and it is your proximity to the Almighty. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, those suffering moments, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Friday night, Tam and I had the opportunity to um, go back to 
uh, being mom and dad, as Wes and Janae let us watch the kids as they were having their worship party, and we got to tuck in uh, Tan and, and Ray, you know, and tell, go through their routine. They sing in the Johnson family, so probably not good songs coming from us, but we tried, and then, you know, we prayed and, and told a story, but as I looked at this, uh, Tam was tucking in Ray, I was tucking in Tan, and I looked looking at Tan and, and just seeing this precious, I don't know, five, six, seven-year-old boy, young warrior. Just no way to describe this, this kid. And just everything in me wants to just protect him. But knowing, man, he is going to go out into a world and he's going to suffer loss. But what a precious reality to note. As he suffers, he is safe in the shadow of Almighty. Amen? Nothing to fear, you guys. Nothing to fear. But that, the next scene, we move to, uh, th- their story is not over, neither is ours. And this is where it gets, um, takes a, a surprising turn. Scene two is the crossroads, surprised by love. Verse six says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And she gives them this blessing, may the Lord show you kindness. And it's the word hesed, which is really important in the Old Testament. It's hesed love, loyal, the loyal love, usually described of God. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness, Hesed, to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. In this culture, if you wanted rest, and it's the word of settled stability, you had to find it in, in, in marriage, in the home of a, a husband. Important word in the book of Ruth is rest. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi She says, return, my daughters, to your home. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I too, or I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Is that true? As she's describing it, has God's hand turned against her? We'll, we'll go on to find out, but this is definitely what she's feeling. This is her perspective of what's happening. At this, they wept aloud, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Some commentators would feel as Orpha goes back, this is like, a lesser thing, but this is actually the the writer, the author of this, doesn't um, say this is a wrong thing to do. This is would be the ordinarily ordinary or wise thing to do. But Ruth is an exception. Ruth clung to her. It's a word of devotion and and uh, just deep emotion. Look, said Naomi, your sister in law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. And so Naomi is just tries to pry this 
girl off of her and she's like, look at your sister. She's walking back down the road. She's going back, follow her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. And, and now this, what, what has become one of a very well-known uh, statement of love and expression of love. She says this, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, where you stay, I will stay. I, I will be with you wherever you stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Some have, may have, or someone may have thought, hey, I'll go back with this lady. She's going to die in a few years. When she's dead, I'll go back to my own people and my own home and I'll, I'll carry on, get a husband. And she's like, no, I'm going to die where you die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord, and she makes an oath, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me, if I'm not buried next to you. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. When the loyal love of God meets us at the crossroads of life, tough moments of life, it's a precious gift, isn't it? Ruth has nothing to gain, everything to lose going back with Naomi to Bethlehem. It's all risk and very little chance of reward, unless, of course, Yahweh is good for his word. Um, providing for those and blessing those who choose to love as he loves. Scholars feel that this statement, and specifically the statement in the middle, which in Hebrew literature you often know chiasm, it's the middle that, where, where the author is making the main point. When she says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, is evidence of her conversion, that Ruth has come by grace um, through faith in Yahweh to salvation. She is trusting him as her savior. And the evidence of this is also this loyal love, this hesed love that, that is flowing from her. But what, what's beautiful about this picture too, is you see Ruth, Naomi says, find rest with a husband. This is the normal way that you would find rest, that you would find peace, that you would find this settled place, safety, security, find it with her husband. But as Ruth chooses to follow the way of love and a sacrificial love and a radical love, this hesed love, this loyal love that won't let go of this grieving widow, her mother-in-law. She is showing us what it looks like to rest in the shadow of El Shaddai. Beautiful picture. You say, how can we show hesed love to the people around us? And the truth here is, in his shadow, we are free to love, right? As we worry about our security and all those things, we're tempted to hold on to what makes us secure, what we would, um, the things of this world. But as we rest in his shadow, we are free to love sacrificially. As he nudges us to go love, even at risk of our own well-being, to go do that. We are free to love as we rest in his shadow the Hesed love we see in Ruth is but a shadow of our God's Hesed love, isn't it? And, and this beautiful picture of this, of, of Ruth holding on to her and just saying, I'm not going to leave your side. I'm with you. I'm going to be with you till you die is but a glimpse of the Hesed love of the one who says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. The one who says, um, Jesus, at the end of the age, to us as disciples, as you go make disciples, I will be with you to the end of the age. And what a gift to know that we have the Hesed love of the living God pursuing us, 
surrounding us, and it frees us to love like that, doesn't it? It also stokes something in us. I don't know if, as you listen to this and see this, thinking back to the times in your life when someone has shown this hesed love to you, and what a treasure that is, where, where God put it on someone's heart to just be sacrificially loving and loyal to you. And I know as I look out, I see faces of you have expressed this to Tam and I here in this church family. And, and I was challenged to, um, as we begin this Thanksgiving season, man, what a great thing just today as God brings someone to mind who has loved you with this loyal love to say thank you and shoot them a text or just, hey, thank you and to thank the Lord for them. But do you feel this stoke in your heart to go share this love with someone, a Naomi, somebody who's suffering in a hard time? And, and just pray that maybe God would put that on our hearts today. Who's the person in your life who could use someone coming alongside and just saying, hey, I just want you to know I have got your back and I'm not, I'm not budging. <laughs> and as God gives me breath, I will, I will be here for you and I will be, um, let me know how I can help. I will be his presence, his loyal love in your life. As I was, Tam and I were talking about this yesterday morning, our mind immediately runs to a person named Ruth. And because um, out of this story, um, it's an easy, easy parallel. We were in Dallas. I was going through seminary at the time, young, just married. Tam got a call while she was teaching second grade from the doctor, the lump is cancer. This was back before cell phones, so the first person that she talked to was the, the teacher right next in the class next to her who had become a dear friend. Her, her name was Ruth, and they cried together. And then as Tam began a, a super intensive chemotherapy radiation treatment that summer, Ruth would show up every day at our house when I would, I would have to go to work to pay the bills, and she would show up and sit with Tam. And I mean every day. And the day she wasn't there, weekend, whatever, she would um, call and pray with Tam. She would send Tam uh, a song list, playlist of comfort and encouragement. And um, loyal love by this dear, dear friend and sister in Christ. At the end of the summer, she and her husband were uh, preparing to be missionaries to Singapore. And we both remembered the day that she left. And... Um, I'm not a huge crier, but Tam was bawling and I was bawling <laughs> because through her we had tasted the Hesed love of God, and it was hard to see her go. But what a gift when God, through somebody, pours out his Hesed love. When we are resting in his shadow, we are free to love, aren't we? Beautiful picture of that, and, and encourages us. To, uh, to express that love to those around us. And then the scene number three, as the story plays on, I can imagine it being kind of a quiet walk from then on to Bethlehem. <laughs> Ruth is just like, Naomi, stop trying to get me to, to not go with you. And Naomi probably feels responsibility now for Ruth. And you can, you can imagine Ruth going into this. She's a widow too, but now um, she's a foreigner in Israel. And so... It's not looking good for her either. So they walk on, and scene number three, this is the barley harvest, and the, the overarching um, reality coming out of this, it's not over. The barley harvest, it's not over. Verse 19 says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. 
the, the women exclaim, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, which, which means pleasant or lovely. She told them, call me Mara. And that word means bitter because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty, Shaddai, has brought misfortune upon me. And then the narrator pans back, and he says this, and this is where we, we are allowed to see a higher thing going on or a bigger picture going on. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem, and here's the phrase, as the barley harvest was beginning. This is significant, a literary technique. He started with what in, in verse 1 of chapter 1? There was a famine in the land. How does he end? There was a barley, the barley harvest was beginning. In Bethlehem, what does Bethlehem mean? There's irony in the the famine being in Bethlehem. It means house of bread. And so what what is he saying here? What is he hinting to us as readers? And, And if Naomi would see it, it's not over. It's not over. All that Naomi can see, she's hurting, she's lost hope, and all she can see is the bitter life that that God has allowed her to experience. And so she's saying, change my name. Like, it's over. Change my name. Make, Make my name Mara. Make it bitter. It's over. And yet, if she would just see it, God is at work. Something bigger is playing out. He is big enough. To take even her pain and transform that, redeem that into something beautiful, bring beauty out of ashes. This is our God, and he hints at it this way. There's bread again in Bethlehem. There's bread again in Bethlehem. It's not over. Don't change your name, Naomi. The Almighty is at work in your life. Today, guys, I felt this was the the burden of the text for us as well. It's not over. As you hit those moments of suffering in your life, hard moments of life, whatever life turns out not the way you wanted it to, to turn out, know this. We walk with the God. We serve a God. And in the shadow of El Shaddai, we know it's not over. What do we know about Naomi's story and Ruth's story? But we know this, that they have no idea right now. In a few short years, a king is coming who will put to end all this craziness that's going on in the season of the judges. He will be a king after God's own heart. He will be a king that will be born in Bethlehem. And he will be a warrior such that the women of Israel will sing songs about this guy. And he's going to bring in a kingdom. His name is David. That will be the glory days of Israel. And Naomi, he's coming through your line. It's going to be your grandkid through root. You're childless. You think it's over. It's not over. Isn't that awesome? But what do we know about this? It gets even better. Naomi, if we told you this right now, it would blow your mind and you would call us all liars. But David's not the end of the story. Through David, another king is coming who is the savior of the world, the Messiah, the hope of the world. He will save your sin. He will save the sin of every other human who comes to him in faith. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be born in your town, Bethlehem. He will be the bread of life and he will be 
through your family line, Naomi. It's not over. There's a barley harvest in Bethlehem. Amen? Guys, God has just given us through this story a picture that He is working out His redemptive plan. And there is nothing, no evil, no suffering can stop it. When suffering hits our lives and we hit those hard moments, where do we turn? What do we do? How do we respond when we're in that daze and wondering, ah, oh, man, my life is over. 911, 9-1-1, 9-1-1, Psalm 91-1. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of El Shaddai of Almighty. How can I rest in His shadow? tells us this story of Ruth. It's like this. Let this story encourage you and remind you that, that when you go through those hard times, when you must leave home, when life does hurt and when life will hurt, know this to be true, that you are safe in your suffering. And know that in his shadow, um, as you rest in his shadow, that you are free to love. And then as you rest in his shadow, know this to be true. It's not over. As I mentioned earlier, I felt this week the burden of the text. What the Lord just wants each of us to hear is that it's not over today. And I know in a room this size that many of us are struggling with circumstances that are really hard, worries that are threatening to just consume us and fears and and very real suffering. And I don't at all want to minimize that. And... And yet know this to be true. It's not over. Our God is at work and you can trust him. Dwell by faith in his shadow. Let him fill you with hope and carry on for him. The good news that Jesus came to give us, the gospel that that Ruth and Naomi were looking forward to, that we get to look back on is that Christ came and he took our sin upon himself as we have been singing about and died in our place so that we might have the promise of living in the shadow of Almighty for eternity, beginning in these moments. And so today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you into that just precious spot, precious gift, beautiful place. If you do know him as your Savior, I invite you to to rest in his shadow today. And if you're struggling with that, just ask him, Lord, help me. To, to apply these truths to my life with your help by faith. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we just want to begin by praising you. And as we begin this Thanksgiving month, we just realize again and bask again in the reality that we have been given all things in you, that we can rest in your shadow. Forgive us for chasing other things as a means of security and significance. Help us to be content with you alone. I invite you now just to ask the Lord to bring to mind the person who may need Hesed love, loyal love in your life, somebody who may be suffering. Lord, as you bring these people to our minds, help us this week to, to be your presence to them. Thank you for even in the midst of our own uncertainty and hurt, to give us the freedom to love as you love. Help us to be your presence to these people, Lord. And 
And right now we lift our eyes to the beautiful future that you've prepared for us. Thank you for the story from Ruth of um, two ladies who, as they head back to Bethlehem, really have a very bleak future ahead of them. And yet what we know is it's beautiful beyond comprehension. And we know that's our story as well, Lord. We thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Fill us up with that today as we go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.